This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 402. Which verse is worse? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to your weekly technology podcast, gamesatwork.biz. My name is Andy Piper, and I am one of your three regular co-hosts, or as regular as often as frequently as we can all get together and uh, host a podcast together. Uh, I'm based here in London in the UK, and uh, we are here to talk tech, talk games, talk work, talk Fediverse, Metaverse, and all kinds of other fun things. So I'm going to kick it over to Mr. Michael Rowe. How are you, sir? Hey, Andy, I am well, and I would like a nice vice worst. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we're talking no, about verses. Having way not, too much fun. Talking about verses, not, not, not sausages. <laughs> <laughs> having way too much fun. Uh, really excited uh, to talk. Tech this week and uh michael martin how are you <laughs> uh, fantastic and we're we're gonna get right started with various verses not roasts but verses and we've got a bunch of articles here that kind of carry us through um the, the very first one of the the list here is an article from it web out of south africa and the title that caught our eye was the fediverse is predicted to overtake the metaverse in 2023 and andy for for someone who's been thinking and immersing quite a bit in the Fediverse space and has been very involved in the Metaverse space for a good long while too. I'm curious to know your thoughts about this particular topic. I think this is story is more about the um, drop in interest or excitement around Metaverse uh, as an investment vehicle than it is about the Fediverse as something that corporations are particularly excited about this week i actually went to my first toot up um so i met up with some friends who about 12 years ago i think it was we met up in the same coffee shop in reading um and uh we had a tweet up and um we kicked off a, a series of meetings and events um called the thames valley social media cafe and we've been trying to sort of revisit this since just before the new year. And we finally got around to it this week. Um, and it was a small group of sort of diehards, if you like, um, people that were interested. And we got talking in particular around what the Fediverse means, especially in the context of brands and business. Because uh, my perspective on a lot of the technology we're excited about in the Fediverse space at the moment uh, actually, let me talk about the platforms more than the technology. The, the technology level, we're talking about protocols. We're talking about you know, the very basic level, HTTP, um, JSON, exchange of data. But above that, we talk about activity pub and the ability to follow um, threads of activity on different platforms and, and with different content. And that's very exciting. But if you start to look at platforms, I my observation is that a lot of the platforms that are gaining new users as 
other platforms lose users at the moment and lose interest. They have been built by um, groups who have been disenfranchised by um, the mainstream social media platforms. And those groups of individuals and, and communities, in fact, are not very friendly towards brands and advertisers and <laughs> people who might seek to insert themselves into conversations and or dominate conversations. So I think that if you look, as you look at this story, as I look at this story, and I've just been talking for several minutes without really focusing on this, it talks about the popularity of the metaverse in the context of the last couple of years and people spending money, investors spending money, industrial manufacturing firms spending money. Um, I would argue that that hasn't necessarily happened. You've seen social media firms spend money to try and come up with a new mm -hmm. place to move their audience or go with their audience and sell stuff to their audience. Um, I think certainly there should be and is likely to be a, a level of business interest in what you can achieve with federated networks and technologies. But I don't necessarily think that Mastodon in particular, um, but any of those kind of um, meeting places online for communities are going to be super friendly towards folks that come in wanting to dominate a conversation. So I, and, and, I, and to sum up, uh, I think that there well, is likely to be a growth of interest in federated technology this year, but I don't necessarily think that this headline is particularly good. Well, I, you made a couple of interesting points and, and, and actually had a nice uh, walk down the Salja Lane for me um, with the whole meetup concept or tweet up, right? Uh, it's been a long time since those, and I do remember those days. They were, they were loads of fun, and, and having toot ups would be, be a good thing. But the, the, in more in line with the article and, and some of the thoughts you were bringing up, um, I do find it refreshing right now. Uh, I have seen a few small brands, um, Icon Factory being one of the biggest of the small brands, who have set up their own uh, Mastodon instances in order to own their presence in this resurging social media space using these federated tools. And it's something that I've always believed in, and I've, I've said it to, to customers in my day job, and I've said it to others, that, you know, it's, it's why... We have a website. We don't host our blog on a third-party uh, uh, podcasting or blogging network. Uh, we do it ourselves. It's about owning your content and owning your brand and owning your presence. Uh, and I think a federated model establishes that or or uh, facilitates that much, much better than the various metaverse land rushes, just like the Second Life land rushes back in the day, etc. And from that perspective, um, I, to your point on this article being an investment vehicle article, right? Um, if you do it yourselves, there, there may be less metaverse investing going on in 2023. I don't know how much investment in Fediverse there is. There may be investment in locally owned or locally yeah. run platforms and tools that will enable the federation of this data. There are, there's, there's two points around that. One of them is that you've seen, um, Yugen Rochko actually say the, the creator of Mastodon actually, you know, and I think we talked about this previous weeks, um, turned down offers of investment to maintain yep. control and maintain independence. 
um, and also the, you've seen, um, but on the other side of it, you've also seen some organizations buy up um, instances of Mastodon with lots of users. Um, so there's sort of potentially a danger there, but then you go down the defederation route and you say, well, actually, I'm not going to play ball with those folks and they're not going to get access to my content. Finally, you made the excellent point that the Icon Factory today or yesterday, I, uh, I believe it was today as we as we record, um, launched an instance. But interestingly, Craig Hockenberry is not on it at the moment. He's still on Mastodon.social. So they've got their own mm -hmm. kind of presence. Um, I think it's great. Um, I was really excited to see that as well. Um, and he could post from there himself if he wanted to, um, but he's not at the moment. Um, and I find that interesting as well. Is that as a brand going to, you know, uh, is at some point a bunch of servers going to decide that they don't want content from there for some reason and they're going to uh, defederate um, from them? Don't know, yet to be seen, but it's it's really interesting. And it takes you down the path of thinking about how as podcasters we might end up potentially owning a service that fully federated with the rest instead of at the moment uh, as we do um, post a, a toot on a an account on a Fediverse server to, to announce our episodes rather than um, having our stuff sort of natively there. But that's something I'm looking into. You, you know, yeah, the guys, the, the thing that strikes me from both, both of what you said was that it's not really an either or. Right, the the nature of the Fediverse and federated sets of technologies, and in the examples that we've been talking about with Icon Factory, Mastodon, and et cetera, webs websites, um, th these these are text in a lot of ways. There's some images you could do video too. There's nothing though that prevents establishing um, an environment where people can have an experience that is not text or image or video, but immersive in the same way. So we have a few other articles that are kind of taken us down that path and we've been certainly having the yes the, the metaverse and sets of technologies like this are coming and isn't it great and look at all the investment and all the people and where is it happening and, and how um I, I don't necessarily see it as an either or um i can see that there is a um they orbit really the same sun and it can take us in that direction uh, michael you were you're about to say something i think too um, no, the, the only other point I was going to make, and, and, and sorry, this is going back uh, to the investment side. I have seen in my federated feed uh, that Mastodon, the nonprofit, was hiring a bunch of people yeah. recently. So they are growing. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, was, that was interesting to see from the perspective of, you know, what's the investment vehicle? <laughs> you know, is that... How how is that growth occurring? Because that's money they have to spend, or is it really coming from all the donations that people do to various Mastodon instances? Probably not, because those are to the instances and not to Mastodon. So, uh, just to kind of wrap up the uh, the uh, investment side of the discussion. Very cool. So, so moving along and, and sort of taking a bit of a counterpoint to this, we have a, an article from the CSO online. Uh, website uh, about the metaverse bringing new breeds of threats to challenge privacy and security gatekeepers is sort of the the, the catcher to the to this particular article and we should probably talk about that first but there's some other interesting elements of the article as well so keeping yourself safe private secure 
is an important characteristic. However, you have an internet presence and being in a 3D environment and all of the metadata that exists in the metaverse instance that you're in uh, can certainly be things that you want to, um, to handle and not be subject to harvesting inappropriately ransomware or a whole range of other things. I suspect, Michael, with your broad um, experiences and your, your listening to many other podcasts as well that deal in the security space, you've got a particular point of view on this. Well, it's it, it's so funny because, uh, and we've talked about this a long time ago. Uh, I I actually wrote a paper in I think it was two thousand eight or two thousand nine uh, called "Virtual Colocation" um, that that demonstrated how you could capture data and then use it to do playbacks. Uh, from a business perspective, it was a focus on developers and developing environments, um, etc. But all that data is there, therefore. From a security perspective, all that data is, is a potential security and privacy uh, target. So uh, it, it goes back to the the idea of the more and more data that is exposed or available within a target, in a platform, et cetera, then the more and more you have to pay attention to your data and your security and privacy around said data. Uh, and with, with the... <laughs> now I'm going to flip back a different way with with the difference of a centralized, privately run and invested platform like uh, Meta versus a open and federated platform where you have to trust the owner of each individual platform you choose to interact with. Um, it's It'll be interesting to see the implications from a security and privacy perspective. Now, I, I know Andy's shaking his head because I took it down the dark path. Um, the, the the positive path, and I was trying to pull it up over here. I was looking at my own little Mastodon instance that I set up. Um, and there are all kinds of interesting settings in there that you can do to tweak the data. Uh, but again, that implies that the person running is a knowledgeable and security conscious person to set that up. I think there are two conversations there. Um, one of them is about the Fediverse and the distribution of entities that require governance, like servers. Um, and as you just described, you know there are a bunch of settings you can tweak, and whether or not you tweak them in a way that is uh, that corresponds with the requirements of the jurisdiction you're in, and so on, is 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 one thing. Your views as an individual on user privacy and all those kinds of things are important uh, on the con on the subject of this cso um piece they may there, there are some interesting assertions or suggestions in here that um just because as soon as you put on a headset and go into ar vr um there are questions about jurisdiction uh, i'm not convinced about that because you're still connecting to servers um, in, in the same way that you are, it, it sort of tries to draw. It appears to draw a line. Tries to draw a line between the difference between a two-dimensional web-based collaboration and a three-dimensional collaboration, which doesn't make sense to me. And I think no. that um, the statement here. You mean they're not radically different because one is two and one is three? Crazy, right? <laughs> um, but I think that um, yeah, if you if you're working in a multinational environment and you've got people coming in from all over the world, as you might do because you're on the internet, which is a global network of interconnected mm -hmm. devices and people, um, 
then <laughs> there's a range of jurisdictions to be aware of. Um, so I don't really think, I think the, the more interesting element of this piece uh, talks about brand safety, talks about the ability to start to um, impersonate through, you know, virtual identities and things like that. I think those are some of the more interesting challenges. I don't agree with the statements in here that say, you know, just in order to get more signups that most of these platforms have weak security. I think that's nonsense, uh, personally. Um, I think that typically those platforms are using an established standard such as OAuth or some other single sign-on type identity solution um, that potentially can federate with other identity providers. So I'm I'm very skeptical of some of the statements or, or the, the angles in this, this article. But I, it certainly is true that as we pivot techno technologically and socially again, there will be a bunch of unexpected impacts on things like, or not yet considered impacts on things like privacy, safety, user data, et cetera. So, so two quick points as we're moving along here. What one is going back to the whole Fediverse concept in this article? There's the notion of mini verses as opposed to meta verses. So the federation of these mini verses might apply really nicely to what we were talking about before. And I'm sure it, this is not the first place it's been said, but I thought that was kind of an interesting point, and it kind of struck me as we're talking, and as we're talking a little bit more about patents and interaction and brand protection in the metaverse there is an article from the drum which is rather intriguing because I, i've done a little bit of patenting work close to the space too this article talks about how a startup called anzu anzu has a patent for measuring ad viewability so if you're in a virtual world and there you are you know, um, has that ad been seen and how do you measure it? And then how do you measure the interaction with it, especially going back to that dystopian kind of view that we had of the future where you had a gazillion ads in your AR space that's cluttering up your, your vision of what you're trying to do as you walk down the street or drive down the road. Um, I don't know that we have a lot more to say on that one, but uh, gentlemen, and, before we well, do, they, before we go. <laughs> The, the the whole idea of the measurement thing, right? I mean, that, that goes back to the story, uh, the, the article that I wrote back in 2008, 2009. Again, because you know the direction of every vector of every piece of data in that 3D environment, measuring ad watching, uh, at least where the avatar is looking. Uh, I think you and I actually worked on a patent in that space too. It, I don't think it yeah. ever happened. but No, I don't um, think so. Uh, it, it's 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 such an obvious usage of the technology and the ability to track uh, it it what's interesting to me is and I think this goes Andy back to your statement that you made of you know going from two dimensions to three dimensions oh everything's radically different as a joke um i i think we did a lot of it back then right where where people were trying to create patents in in 2007 that basically put the word in 3d at the end of the patent right and that was now a new and novel experience and um, that type of that type of patenting just drives me nuts <laughs> Well, speaking of things that drive people nuts, um, we have a connection here between the <laughs> ad concepts we were just talking about and connected 
machines, mm. Internet of Things machines, appliances <laughs> in one's home. And there were a couple of articles that the the three of us had an intriguing little chat uh, before the show on text with one another this week about how uh, apparently appliance makers are sad that many <laughs> of the customers don't connect their connected appliance to the Internet. And um, that that kind of led us down several interesting spaces where, yes, there's value there to be able to identify is the a part in the machine about to fail and can you communicate that without the user having to say something. Super valuable. But Andy, you, you were saying how um, uh, you have an appliance that is connected to the internet and it provides you with, with um, less value than you might have hoped by connecting. Well, it's an unexpected addition to the smart home in our case because our landlords, uh, we had a, d- a dishwasher issue and they got us a new dishwasher and this dishwasher has an app and um, is connectable uh, and you can connect it to the internet, you can connect to it on Bluetooth and use your app and program it. I mean, there's some value in that and if you can start to dial in the right program um, while you're sitting on the couch instead of having to walk physically walk up to it. But of course, you've still got to physically load it and put the detergent and all those other things in. So there's some, you know, there's there's physical elements with those things. Um, yeah, it's a bit curious as to what the intent of of it is. Now we do get value from it because it means that we can schedule it to run overnight um, when the energy is cheaper and, and things like that. But uh, beyond that what's the value well it seems to do some kind of um update to programs so it can sort of figure out new potentially new useful wash cycles and update itself um to presumably determine the temperature and length of time to run the water for to be more efficient or whatever over time uh i don't know what i haven't sort of gone through its spec sheet and figured out what sort of sensors it has inside and figuring out what kind of food we're eating or what kind of things we're loading into it or any of those things. Um, I jokingly said to both of you that, you know, well, it's, you know, nice that it plays me an ad when I open the dishwasher when the cycle's done. Of course, it doesn't actually do that. But, you know, so, well, <laughs> but where it, could. Is, it could. Well, so what they want to do, you know, and they, 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 they tempt you to sign up or to connect it is by saying, you know, if you sign up, then you'll get your first free pack of, you know, detergent and then uh, and then you can be on our, you know, renewal program where we'll send you new detergent automatically every time you need it because we know how many times you run the cycle. So we know how many of you, you know, you, and then you head down the the printer consumables nightmare that it, the, the printer industry has turned into. And of course, you know, the likelihood of Wi-Fi standards being updated over the next decade in five years or whatever, or the device itself becoming unsupported because they lose interest in supporting whatever version of operating system of whatever embedded system it's running over time because of security patches or just the march of technology and therefore people are encouraged to buy a new dishwasher more quickly than they used to be but this came up on mastodon this week uh, in some communities i'm a member of and with uh, this article from ars technica and there was somebody talking about how they tried recently to get a a TV, just a nice high quality <laughs> Ooh, screen yeah. to display content without it having all of the connected features. And it's very difficult, if, if not impossible. Um, and of course, once you do connect it home to your to, to, to your network, then it has introduced a new bunch of 
going back to the previous story, a bunch of security vectors that you have to manage. Now you can perhaps uh, reduce some of them. Now that leads us actually directly onto our next story, which is from the register, which is the other side of all this, which is discoveries that smart, uh, the story is smart ovens do dumb stuff, right? So that in order to check their connectivity, some devices are just pinging well-known sites in China and Russia, as well as in the United States or anywhere. Um, and people have noticed this because they've been running a pie hole or whatever to, to block access to those domains. But the fact remains, should those things be con contacting those domains and, and what are they doing when they do so? other than just checking the connectivity, which is what appears to be the case. And I think the case of these Bosch appliances that were mentioned in the story, but uh, yeah, very, I think it's, it is interesting. Look, I've been a big advocate and I've been loving the internet of things. And I, and I've been a big fan of how many connected devices I had until a few years ago, I ran out of capacity on my, on my home router because I couldn't get past 50 devices or well, 50 things with an IP address. And then I needed to get a better router, which could support up to a hundred. Um, mm -hmm. And even then, I mean, that's a lot of different things. Um, do I know what they're all doing? Do I know where they're sending data? Well, Michael does because he runs a pie hole, as he's always reminding us, and gets very <laughs> excited and annoyed when he finds he can't do something because his pie hole is blocking him from doing the thing that he wants to. Well, do. I don't. I don't get annoyed. It, it it becomes a challenge to figure out what the heck they're trying to do and and what to tweak. And and by the way, I actually run an app because uh, I have a a. a, a Kickstarter I started uh, supported years ago called Fing, Fing.io, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and right mm -hmm. now there are 26 active online devices in the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I can tell you what Only? they all are by brand. Only? Um, and uh, you, you know, the, the, the whole series of stories here, really, we had a lot of fun discussing it because I had years ago when I was working in the IoT space, um, talking with uh, manufacturers of a certain appliance that... Uh, they talked about how much engineering they invest to create a new wash cycle, mm -hmm. uh, and and they would like to sell it to you, and yeah. you know, you and that pay. way. You should pay for that new wash cycle. Yeah. Uh, and they were getting, I think at the time, 10% uptake of people turning on the IoT features of their devices. Uh -huh. So getting it up to 50% is huge um, in, in this story. But I, I what what I really like uh, from the other article on, on, on the security stuff is, you know, um, turning it on, let it see what it hits, and then immediately block all those ports, right? <laughs> Because I don't, I don't want them to go off and and ping back and and report in on usage parameters, etc. And and to your point on on in your case, a dishwasher's wash cycle, um, you know, the sensors of finding out what type of food you have in it in order to provide a better wash cycle. That's brilliant data that can then be sold to your local grocery store, so you get special coupons to to upsell you to the special version of milk, right? Uh, <laughs> So, so the the whole idea of of it's the collection and the combination of all the different data that then drive the value, not necessarily for you as a customer, but to pull more money out of your pocket as a customer. <laughs> what was your thing telling you? How many devices? Uh, right now, twenty six. There's forty four in the house, but only twenty six are online. I got forty six at the moment. <laughs> But, but one, how, well, one, of is of those, one of them is the dishwasher, <laughs> yeah. just to just to confirm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. But you, you probably have plenty of Raspberry Pis and Arduinos and other stuff. I mean, in there's, there. there's at least two Chromecasts and Apple, to, three Chromecasts. Oh, because the Home Minis, so they get Google Homes and Nest Hubs and things all show up as Chromecast type devices. So there's several of those, plus all the Echoes, plus all of the Apple stuff. Yeah, fun times. I I do have uh, a a solid green security rating though on my devices. <laughs> According to Fing. Yeah, exactly. According to Fing. <laughs> Which you have paid how much for again? Um, it was ninety nine for the uh for the um the Kickstarter back in the day, I think it was. Mm. And they have a a service that you can pay sixty bucks a year for too. And that would be kind of cool, I mean, too, if it were autom- automated in how it could uh, reduce connections to things. That oh, it does. It, yeah, it, they, I can I can have it disable things at certain times. I can. I mean, it's completely they, oh. configurable. I can say, don't even show, you know, set up the network in such a way so nothing sees the network. Yeah. Because and, a lot of times things drive by and just ping looking for networks, right? And for, uh, right. for $100 a year, they'll, they'll send a man around to, to just unplug your house and uh, keep you completely <laughs> safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got the special deal. Only a hundred. <laughs> oh, so, so friends, listeners, we have so many fun things that we still want to get to, and we're going to run out of time here momentarily. But I think if we, if we're going to conclude on, on a little bit of the AI stuff that continues to permeate all of the conversations these days, we have one intriguing article that we saw on our um, Fediverse uh, environment uh, around Thanabots and and Thanabots, if you have not heard that term before, are chatbots that are trained on the data of the deceased. So there are situations we've actually talked about them before here too, where if you train a chatbot uh, with corpus content from someone who's passed away, uh, you're now able to interact with that person on on the reg and. Um, it's an intriguing. It's an intriguing thing that's ma- happening more and more, uh, and we've talked to us on several articles about this before now. So I, I explore it. Interesting paper. I, I my, my my mind. Sorry, I, I have to say this because you know I have no filter, uh, and uh, my my brain immediately went to uh, a guy carrying a, a big cart with a bunch of servers laying on it and a bell going, "Load up your dead." Ding. Bring out your dead. Load yeah. exactly. <laughs> Oh, well, the, the very entirely too fun. The very first response to the uh, the Mastodon thread here, after the one which has a link to the actual journal uh, piece, um, is exact is my, was my exact response to it, which is this was a Black Mirror episode <laughs> a number of years ago, <laughs> uh, and yeah, um, well, as you say, we've spoken about this um, uh, a few times recently, but yeah, it's interesting that to see folks doing academic studies on it as well, and it's not different in a sense to the story we ran a couple of we, we talked about a few weeks ago about the person who'd trained a bot on her past journals right um yep it's yeah, a right. different her, version her earlier, of herself right yeah. mm-hmm. and and this level of engagement and corpus content that gets trained into the ai is going to be a topic of even more and more discussion we don't have time to get into that here today but we will uh, that will come again in the future so uh, 
as we're as we're kind of wrapping up here, Michael, there was a game or two you wanted to mention because they were kind of cool and they caught your eye, and then we have to, I think, get out of Dodge. Yeah, I, you know, we haven't talked about a new game we're playing, uh, and and I've identified one that I hope to be playing by the end of the year because it's supposed to come out at the end of the year called uh, Shadow Gambit: The Cursed Crew, which is a stealth game, uh, and uh, there's a there's a great gameplay trailer that will have a link to an article that shows it uh in there but this this is really really cool it's kind of a combination of um remember we used to talk to chris hazard uh of, yep. of mm-hmm. Arch- right uh, archon games i think it was and mm-hmm. uh this is it's a stealth game but you control multiple characters at once so you kind of get to play with time manipulation in order to set each moves up and then have them go in parallel and so it's it, it's a really cool game mechanic uh, the game looks great and if you're into pirates and magic it, it looks lots of fun and speaking well, of magic the the tra- the new trailer for the new Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out looks loads of fun also I was going to say, speaking of pirates, um, uh, I got a, uh, an invitation to take part in the Skull and Bones uh, uh, technical playtest this weekend, which I'm not going to have a chance to do, um, which is a shame. But uh, that game has been uh, on the bubble for so long now. I think it's five or s- probably five years at least uh, and looks very cool. Um, so, but yeah, the, um, the, the Shadow Gambit looks fun as well, got to say. Not so excited by the the Dungeons and Dragons movie, just on the basis that the past ones haven't been very successful. Oh, the past ones have but, been horrible. <laughs> uh, always worth a always worth a shot, a shot, and see what it's like. Yep. Much more to p- fun to play Dungeons and Dragons than to watch a movie on it, isn't it? Well, I mean, a Dungeons and Dragons movie really is just a fantasy movie, right? It doesn't need to be branded, <laughs> right? But right. but this one does have a lot of the uh, the the various um, monsters that you would remember from your days playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, and and you know if you're playing games and want to tell us about them at work or at home, uh, you can follow us over uh, at Games at Work at Bots in Space, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, and, or, you know, the easiest thing, come to our website at gamesatwork.biz and uh, drop a comment on the show uh, or uh, rate us on your favorite podcatcher. We would appreciate any of those actions and just let us know what you're thinking about. Thanks for listening. Fantastic. See you soon. See ya. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Music